0: Good morning again, and uh, happy birthday, Pastor Bob. There he is right back in the back doorway there. Happy birthday to Pastor Bob. Yes, right. And as I've been trying to convince my wife, we've never been so close in age as we are now, just percentage-wise, you know. But, but we're, you're catching up. It's, just, it's getting so close that it's almost negligible now. So anyway, happy birthday to you. In, uh, in my household, uh, it's, it, well, not in my household, uh, everywhere, football's kind of coming down to the end stretch here, Super Bowl, Super Bowl is coming, and, and uh, in my household, uh, we have two 49er fans. Thank you. And we have one Green Bay Packer fan. And so uh, that creates some, some tension at times, some, a little bit of friction from, from now and then, you know, and it just crops up unexpectedly at different times you know it's not just on game day it's like it it can come out of the blue anywhere you know you can just be at the beach and uh, you know someone like a Green Bay Packer fan is going to want to put the big G in the sand you know for Green Bay but you know eventually you want to turn and and look at the ocean and when you turn your back a, a 49er fan is likely to just make that into go Niners And, uh, you can see at the top there that, that the Packer fan doesn't take kindly to that. And it got washed away, you know, real quick there. But, you know, it, it comes up that way. And, and we have this ongoing quarrel about, uh, by the end of time, you know, who will have been the better quarterback, Joe Montana or Aaron Rodgers? Ridiculous one. But anyway, you know, there's, there's, there's that debate. And, uh, and then, next Saturday, they play each other, so you know one will eliminate the other by next Saturday night, which is you know very sad for for her um, but <clears throat> anyway we've we've got that going on. We we'll want to talk about uh, quarrels this weekend, and in the broadest possible meaning, a quarrel of course is is when we 're kind of verbally contentious we we 're kind of got an I- different ideas or a, a different um, decision that we want to make, you know, go different directions, something we're, we're quarreling about verbally in a way that has the potential to strain our relationship, and that's a quarrel. And, and uh, I want to think about those, uh, all of them, you know, the broadest possible sense, from things that really don't matter very much to really important fundamental things about the maybe the very core of one of your relationships that's very threatening and all the, the serious stuff. Now, those are pretty different animals, you know, football, too to, you know, will your relationship survive or something serious, but, but uh, they do have something in common. When we think about being in different places from, from someone else in, in attitude or thought, we have a tendency to think of those as win-lose kind of situations, something that we want to win. And when we look at those as something we need to win, we can often uh, do things that harm our relationship. So here is the uh, full title of the message today, which is How to Win Your Quarrels and Lose Your Friends. How to win your quarrels and lose your friends, because it, when we go after winning them, we often damage that relationship. Uh, about 10 days ago, um, I went into Pastor Bob's office because I had been, tol- been telling him for a while that I, I might uh, teach on John the Baptist this week. And about his life, and then I saw these proverbs, and I thought, no, I think we'll, I think we'll look at this instead. And I went in to tell him that uh, the title would be "How to Win Your Quarrels and Lose Your Friends." And his response was, "Bill, that's an utter waste of time. We already know how to do that." Right? <laughs> so he was speaking for you, by the way, in that we. But um, yeah, he was like, "That's that's a waste of time. We're gonna, we're gonna think about that." as a choice that we can go after these situations to win them, or we can take the wisdom of God and say, you know, I need to stop thinking about winning this and doing something healthy, something good for our relationship. I know in your relationships you face these situations because anytime you put two people in the room, you'll have two different ideas on something, you know, somewhere. It might be how late you know the curfew should be it might be what color to paint the wall it might be what we should spend that money on or what thing to purchase or where to go on vacation but there's different ideas about something if you have two people in the room so i know you face those differences but will you face them thinking that you need to win or maybe apply the wisdom of god to do something better now if you want to win here would be one good idea and that would be to go ahead and speak first and fast and long just Take charge verbally, talk a lot, and, uh, and take control of that situation in order to win. We've just come off a rather long season of politicking, and you might remember hearing things about politicians that the, that the winners are those who, who uh, control the agenda, right? That they frame their message in such a way, and the discussion about their ideas, they control even the way they're discussed. So that it comes out the way they want, right? That's what we hear about politicians who win. In business, we hear that uh, businesses like to create a positive image, and they do that by talking at us a lot. They just keep talking at us about their brand so that we recognize it, and then hopefully we'll have loyalty to that brand. I was watching TV this week, and and an advertisement came on, and I had that reaction. Maybe you've had that kind of reaction before. Oh, how many times do we have to see this? And here's this young woman in a white jumpsuit with too much lipstick selling us insurance. And how many times are we going to see this? You know, and then it occurred to me, you know what? Businesses don't mind if our eyes roll back in our heads because they're like, Perfect. But you, you recognize us then. You see, you, you, you recognize our product. And we don't even have to have a positive reaction to their commercial for them to go, gotcha. Because we're talking fast and, and really long, just over and over and over again until you can't escape knowing it. In relationships... Things are different than business or politics or other areas of life. We can, we can do that. We can take that approach, but often it's destructive. Proverbs 12 is where we'll be most of the morning. 18, verse 18 says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You can, you can talk a lot. You can be quick and authoritative with what you're saying and take the lead, and It's powerful right? You can take charge verbally, and it's powerful. It's it's like having a sword. You can create a lot of change with a sword, but it's so often really destructive. Now, we could look at this from a lot of different angles this morning, but the thing I want to think about is our personalities. You notice that some people really like to talk. Some people in your life really, really like to talk. I mean, they enjoy that. If I... uh, If I said, uh, think next week, don't, 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 please, no names, but uh, not really, just in your head. If I said, think about your small group or your grow group next week, and when you meet, who are the two people who are most likely to talk the most? You would be like, got it. In fact, last night I could see, you know, there were some students, you know, they all looked at one girl, and you know, it's, so don't do that, don't look at anyone right now. But you would just know immediately who that would most likely be. Some people like to talk. On the other hand, some people are more comfortable not talking. Think of your family. If you're going to have all your family and you, and you sat down together and I said, who is it that's most likely to say the least during that meal? You would know that too. That might not happen that way, but usually it would. And I can see nodding all over the place. Yeah, I know. I know who that is. Because some people like to talk and some people are more comfortable not talking. I'm more comfortable not talking. I would be more comfortable if I was sitting among you listening to someone else this morning than talking, and yet I'm, you know, that's my assignment. 30, 35, hopefully not 40 minutes, you know, I have to keep talking. So there's my job. But I'm really thankful that there are people who like to talk in my life. My life's better because of that. You see, this is God's design. He made us different and all of that. He's fine. But now as we approach this scenario where relationally we are introducing this difference of opinion or a potential for quarrel, we're under stress relationally. And you know what happens when we're under stress? Our natural tendencies get exaggerated, right? What do talkers do when they're under stress? Almost always they talk even more, right? And, and people who are more comfortable not talking under stress talk even less, right? See, I mean, if you all started looking angry right now and, you know, like you're ready to leave, I'd finish really quick. I shouldn't tell you that, but, you know, I'd want to talk even less. And But that's how we are under stress. Now, in a quarrel, here's a suggestion, something that might help. If you're after that that healing approach to relationships, that helpful approach, godly approach. You might think about trying to reverse roles a little bit if you're facing something difficult, that healing communication with a, with a flip-flop. So, for example, example, talkers need some limits when you're quarreling. Notice it's the tongue of the wise that brings healing. Not the tongue that can flap the longest brings healing. It's the tongue of the wise, so when you're going to say something, it needs to have wisdom in it for it to have a positive impact. And so talkers need that extra restraint. And if there's ever a time you you exert some control there on yourself, talkers, that would be a great time. On the other hand, the other side is true too. Those who are quieter need to say something they need to talk. Notice, it's the tongue of the wise that bring healing, not the internal wise thoughts and contemplations of the secluded and withdrawing, right? It's the tongue of the wise. Even if they're not a great talker, it's the communication of wisdom that will bring healing, not the just great thoughts. So there you go. Flip-flop the roles a little bit. Now that's counterintuitive, and you won't feel like doing that, but there, I think, is the wisdom of God when we're quarreling. And I was thinking back this week uh, over the, the course of my time here at Gateway, I don't know, 17, 18 years, something like that. And I thought about not really any specific necessarily occasions, but, but just kind of in general all the times that I've spent with people t- talking about their relationship. And usually that's either uh, husband and wife or two friends, or a parent and a child. And those are kind of the scenarios where I'm usually talking with a couple people about their relationship. And I thought, you know, in, in general, what were the what was true and, and different about the, the least productive conversations versus the most productive ones? The time where we sat down and we talked about it and it was like, wow, that's really helpful. That's going to create some change. And obviously there's lots of differences between them, especially in terms of intensity and, and emotion and those kinds of things. But something just structurally about that time that anyone would observe is that the least productive discussions tended to be marked by a very long, uninterrupted presentation by one person that went on and on and on. And the other two of us in the room will listen to all of this until I'm done. And those tend to not produce very much. On the other hand, the, the most productive ones tended to be much shorter pieces of information, far more conversational, questions were asked, and things were learned, and there was this sense of progress. If you want to win, you could speak first and fast and long, but if you want to do best with your relationships, think again and consider what you're saying. Here's another idea, and that would be to believe that you're right. I mean, you want to if you're, you're going to quarrel you want to be sure that you're right you should you should really believe that now when i was in my uh, 20s <clears throat> i had my my first job in a actually my first job in a church was a custodian but my first ministry job in in a church on staff was an interim youth pastor and one of the exciting <clears throat> things that happened was the the staff were going on a retreat with the elders and i was really excited about this i'd kind of grown up with these uh, individuals, and really respected them, and grew up in a university town, so everyone is extremely bright, um, extremely intelligent, and these are PhDs, and professors, and other people, because everyone worked at the university, and uh, really, really smart people, and going away with them for this spiritual leadership retreat, and um, was looking forward to it, and we got there, and one person... Would share and, and it's very easy to listen to that individual, respect them, and go, wow, that's a really smart person. As they open the scripture, here's what they think. And then the next person would share, and it's really easy. That, that's good. And then, and then the next person and the next person. And yet, I have to tell you, by the end of the weekend, it was really discouraging. Because while they were all as individuals really intelligent and had good ideas it was as though whatever one person said had no impact on the other smart people in the room. We didn't go anywhere together. It was a bunch of smart individuals. Now, Proverbs twelve fifteen says, the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. The way of fools seems right to them. Now, you're, you're, in a relationship and there is a, a difference of opinion there and you're thinking differently about something and there's a potential quarrel there and you, and you look at that situation and inside you're like, I think I'm right. I, I, I feel right. I think I'm right. Now, I'm not saying, and I don't think the proverb is saying that you're a fool to think you're right. What the proverb is saying and what I'm saying is, so what? What? You think you're right. So what? Everyone thinks they're right. It just, in and of itself, feeling like you're right inside, just doesn't amount to anything. (laughs) To anything. Fools think they're right. Take, for example, a rebel. A rebel someone who says, you know, I, I'm rejecting all kinds of things, goodness and decency and godliness. I don't like structure. I don't like organized church. I don't like organized government. I don't like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be the rebel, and I'm always going to be outside the box, and I'm always going to be, you say, go that way, I'm going to go this way. You understand what the rebel inside, while he's rejecting right, inside He feels right in doing so. Again, he might be rejecting a sense of moral good, right? But inside, he feels like this is the right thing to do, to be a rebel. Everyone thinks they're right. So what? That's not enough. That doesn't get us anywhere. It takes more than that. It takes more than that. Now, there's an added complication in a quarrel. The greater the stress on us and the the, the greater the difficulty we have in discerning what's right, discerning what's real, and discerning what's true. Stress creates strong emotion for us, and that raises questions. Here we are in the midst of a quarrel, and I'm listening to someone, and that's raising questions for me, questions like, why are you so angry? you know, where, it, why do you, how is it that you could possibly feel that strongly about the color of our walls? I don't understand this. Where does all that passion come from? And, and why don't you listen to me? Why don't, why aren't you caring what I say? And why in the world are you accusing me of things? See, these are questions I have in the midst of a quarrel, that we have in the midst of quarrels, and And our minds do not tolerate uncertainty very well. In fact, not at all. We don't like it. I think it's one of the things we despise most in the world is uncertainty. In fact, I think we hate uncertainty more than we hate pain, which is pretty amazing. Most of us really don't like pain very much. So we fill in the blanks. We would prefer to fill in the blanks with something negative rather than continue to live with uncertainty. As I'm in the midst of this quarrel and it's, it's begging all these questions in my mind about you or about us, I'd rather just come to a conclusion than be uncertain about it. Years ago, I was um, talking with this man and this woman, and they had been through uh, kind of the same situation several times in their relationship where, uh, uh, you know, the specifics don't matter. She was going to go to the store and was going to be back at 6 o'clock or whatever, and she wasn't back till 7, which that that hour raises questions, right? Raises questions in our mind, and you may have had that experience. Someone's late. It creates fear or uncertainty and and things you don't have the answer to, but our minds would rather... stick to an answer and find an answer and even sometimes believe that, right, rather than live with the uncertainty. And so he filled in that hour, attaching to to her the most immoral and illegal activities he really could dream up and say, this is what she's doing, (laughs) which she wasn't. And she wasn't always making the best choices during that time, that was true and that had to be worked through. But you see how we're, we're, we may not always do that in as dramatic a way as, as this man did, but I think we're, we're given to that. We'd rather fill in the blanks. We'd rather not have uncertainty. Proverbs 18, too, kind of takes us the next step. It says, "'Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions.'" Now, when you look at that verse, it would be really tempting to go, oh, I, I see the problem. It, it, it's like that first verse. Uh, the problem he's talking about is people just airing their own opinions. I get so tired of that. People, they just talk and they say what they think. That's not exactly the problem here. It's airing an opinion isn't the problem he's going after. It's not valuing understanding that's the problem. Airing your opinion when you don't really care about actually understanding the situation. Now, understanding is a really strong, rich, theological, deep concept in the Proverbs. It's not that, uh, remember high school math, and you're sitting there, and you're being given equation after equation, and you're not sure you get it, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I think I understand how this might work, but you're not completely sure yet, but you have that kind of little bit of aha. That's not what this is. (laughs) Understanding means there's this kind of rich recipe of all these things that have gone into it. For, for example, it might involve some really careful thought, really thinking things through. It would involve the insight from God, God's wisdom. God's Word is now impacting my understanding. It's transforming it, listening to others, Advice and thoughts and ideas from others. Obviously, we're in a relational context, so that's vital. It's having a a faith grid to put over your circumstances and your experiences. Not just your, your fears, your emotions, or your humanity, but a faith grid in what God says about my circumstances. These things feed into something dependable, what Proverbs calls understanding. Understanding. That's the problem. The fool isn't valuing understanding. You know, if I could change one thing in the world, this might be it. You know, short of the big one, you know, one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. uh, That would, that would, that will definitely change the world. (laughs) But, but short of that, you know, something simple and practical, I think this might be it. If we could. If we could, as people, have our, our great goal to be understanding, gaining understanding, if it could become more important to us than making a decision. You know, sometimes making the decision is just like this huge force driving us. We've got to decide. Or we have a difference of opinion. We have to have one opinion. Or, or you know, whatever it is that's just, it's, it's like this pressure. But if we could value understanding more than making a decision, or more than getting what I need, or fixing our problem, or relieving the tension I feel. Like, I just don't want us to have a quarrel. If I could value understanding, as Proverbs talks about it, You see, it would absolutely revolutionize friendships and families and marriages and relationships between countries. Who knows? It could even change Congress, right? I don't know. That's asking a lot. But it's God. (laughs) Understanding would change so much. Now, if you want to win, you should believe you're right. But if you want the best for your relationships, I would say make understanding your biggest goal. That's what we're after. And then here's the, the third and the last thing we'll think about, and that's don't take no guff. now. I wrote this down uh, about 10 days ago, and I was just kind of gathering information, put of scripture here and a few thoughts here, and I kind of put this down as a heading, thinking, well, now, of course, I won't use that in a sermon, because you can't say that in a sermon. I do know it ain't good English, so, you know, I wouldn't that's one reason. And then the second thing is guff. You can't use the word guff in a sermon, can you? I wanted to go back through the years and look. Has anyone ever used that? I'm like, you can't do that. And then I'm sitting in here last week, and Pastor Ken used the word shaboom. (laughs) You see what I'm thinking? I'm like, hey, we're good. Like, anything goes at that point. Once you give me shaboom, who knows what I'm going to come up with. So anyway, there it is. You know, to be insulted, to be hassled, to be picked on like I'm picking on Pastor Ken, to to be opposed, it doesn't feel like winning, right? And so here we are in this setting, and we're thinking differently, and something's coming at us, and, and it doesn't feel like winning, and we tell ourselves, you know, I don't have to take that. I know what age I live in. I watch the news, I know what country I live in. Just now hold on a minute here. I do not have to take this. I'm an American, right? I know I have rights. I don't have to take this insult, right? You know, this is just not right, and I don't have to put up with it. And while we enjoy fabulous freedoms, and I do not deme- mean to diminish those at all, I do think it makes us pretty soft. Our tolerance for criticism and critique and insult is extremely low. Proverbs 12:16 says, "Fools show their annoyance at once." Oh, just really fast. That's it. I'm annoyed. But the prudent overlook an insult. The prudent, those who are wise. Those who are going to do the, the most helpful thing overlook an insult. Now, it's pretty easy to be annoyed. One of the most likely times to feel insulted, of course, is in a quarrel. Because, right, you're, you're thinking different and you're pushing back and forth. It, it's going to happen there as frequently as anywhere else, probably. And one of the easiest times to feel annoyed is in a quarrel. And you put those together, and being annoyed at an insult in the midst of the quarrel is just like the easiest thing you could ever do. I mean, you just don't even have to try. It's like falling off the roof. Gravity takes over and does all the work for you. I'm just like insulted, I'm annoyed, that's it you know, you don't even have to try. But the prudent overlook it anyway. Now, what happens when we get stuck on the insult? I think at least a couple things can happen. One is, uh, you insult me, and I think, I think it's not true. You know what? I know that that is not true, what you're saying about me. That's not true. So, since you said it, but I know it's not true. That leads me to to another conclusion. That is, you are not seeing this situation very clearly. You are obviously not the person who can grasp what's going on very clearly. Therefore, I can obviously write off what you're saying, and I'm done. Right? You said that about me. I know it's not true. Therefore, you know, how could you possibly know what color the wall should be? Or something important. Or I might think, eh, maybe true, maybe not. But either way, you're mean. Once again, that's just mean. I don't want to take that. Uh, And again, so I'm turning you off. Now I'm less likely to listen. I'm less likely to value you. I'm less likely to value your ideas. I'm less likely to seek understanding understanding that God's word is recommended to us. And I'm confirmed in my own thinking, and we're back to the last point. You know what? Turns out I'm right. See, this just shows that I'm right, because what you're saying about me, i glad I'm right. It feels good to be right. Now, consider some of the things that can be happening there. Uh, usually, we, we have a really quick reactionary kind of view, and it's not, very, it's not that deep understanding thing, but several things can happen. And one of the ones that I think happens the most often and that w- never really enters our mind is that we're just misreading the emotion. We're taking it too personal. It, I see it over and over and over again. But we're insulted. See, one of the things we need to keep in mind is people who are experiencing fear or anger or loneliness, they offend other people pretty easily, right? But it doesn't have to quite be so personal. Another thing that can happen, another reason this can happen, someone insults you because, well, actually, you have something to apologize for. It's a wounded person that's insulting you, and you're the one who wounded them. And that's a possibility. There's another, another category, and that would be that, uh, yeah, you know, maybe this is a mean person. Maybe there's something in them that God would like to change and that needs to be confronted, but you know what? At that moment, I would call that a diversion. <laughs> and it's prudent to overlook it. Now let's go on. What happens in each of those scenarios when we say, all right, it's not easy, I'm not sure I even like it, but God's word says it's prudent to overlook it. What happens? Well, if you're misreading that strong emotion, but you overlook the insult, then you continue to gain understanding, and then you have that aha moment and, like, oh, I see. You're scared. (laughs) It wasn't really about you, you weren't really thinking. I'm a liar, or whatever it was, you're you're frightened. (laughs) And now I have the opportunity with understanding to actually speak into that, to comfort that. And understanding, see, it's the goal, changes the dynamic, but you can't get there if you haven't overlooked the insult. Second possibility, which is when you owe them an apology. You've wounded them. Well, again, overlooking the insult is very prudent because now it's simplified. Now you can move quicker, not easy, but more quickly to apologizing, to seeking forgiveness, to heal that relationship in the ways that Christ calls us to do that. Other sermon, another sermon, but I think you know what a lot of those things are. And then... What happens in the occasion when there's something in them to confront? I still think in the moment to overlook the insult and not let that begin to, to, to warp you and to change you and impact you is still prudent. Because instead of reacting and complicating that relationship, it better prepares you to confront them the way that Christ calls us to do that, which is with clean hands and a loving heart, a clear mind, in prayer. In prayer. In the best interest of the other person and you know those things so if you want to win you know just go just go ahead and be annoyed just be annoyed but if you want to do the very best thing for your relationship you would follow the example of Christ because he takes the wisdom of the proverbs And he lives it out through his hands and through his lips. And he puts it into his relationships so that we can see it. And then he says, this is what it looks like. This is what the wisdom of God looks like in a person, in life, in a quarrel. Let me conclude today by reading uh, the end of 1 Peter chapter 2. It says, to this You were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Okay. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. Does that mean like when they were? it was a beautiful summer day and he's walking down a country lane with the disciples and someone stepped on his foot, he didn't go, Hey, Peter. <laughs> well, maybe, but that's not really the point. When he suffered, he made no threats. When he endured an unjust trial, when he was beaten, when he was hung on a cross and he was mocked, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin, so that we might die to those tendencies to get even, to be insulted, to put them down back, that we might die to that and live for righteousness. Lost my place. It says we can do that because by his wounds we've been healed. By his wounds you have been healed. And so the very process of him going to the cross and the manner in which he did it without retaliating or or throwing back insult is not only an example, but it is our healing. So that the things you experience that aren't pleasant from other people are actually your healing. You are already healed of it before the unkind word that you will hear tomorrow. It is the cross of Christ that has brought grace to your heart and your life to heal it before you've even heard it. And the only thing that changes that is your own mind and decision to be destroyed by it. You have been healed by his cross. It says, For you were like sheep gone astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls, the one who knows how to live and to guide you in your relationships and through all of life, depending on his grace and walking in it. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We uh, we really stand amazed at your wisdom, and we we just crave that it would change the world in which we live. And Father, I think about um, just how many people in this room, and then you multiply that by how many relationships we have, and then by how many quarrels that might represent uh, all across. The spectrum, from things that were minor and, and have been healed just by us, giving them to you in this time of worship and study, and all the way to things that are lifelong and deep and challenging, quarrels and, and everything in between, Father. I just pray that you would take these, that we would allow you to work within them, that your wisdom would take root in our hearts and minds, that we could face them as you would have us face them. Transform them, Father, by your grace. And we understand it is your cross, Lord Jesus, that will be the power for all these things. Father, I pray that uh, each one here, with whatever burden they carry in this topic, that because of the cross today, they would leave with peace, that you would be the, the, the shepherd, the caretaker, the caretaker, of their soul in all these things so that we can sing great words and mean them and experience them and taste them that it's well with our soul. Thank you for the chance to do that today because of your goodness, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.